Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Kind of getting in the home stretch here with Ecclesiastes we've been in since the beginning uh, of the summer. In this passage today, this, this is a little bit of a difficult, difficult text. So we're going to do our best to get through it today and uh, hopefully figure out what it is that God wants to speak to us uh, through, through this passage. So last week, uh, in last week's passage, Pastor Brent was here, and um, just in the, the preceding verses leading into chapter 10, uh, Solomon is talking about wisdom, and Solomon knows a thing or two uh, about wisdom. He was a pretty wise guy, uh, maybe, maybe the wisest guy that the world has ever known. Um, but he talks about wisdom, and he gives an example uh, in, in the verses leading into chapter 10 uh, about a poor man who happened to be wise. And in his wisdom, he was able to help deliver his city from a siege, from, from um, an attacking or an opposing army. And Solomon tells us that wisdom is better than might, even though the world doesn't necessarily see it that way. Our, our world places a lot of value uh, on power. Matter of fact, if you're, if you're paying attention to, to politics and news lately, uh, power dynamics are a topic of discussion. Uh, and the idea of, of, of oppressors and oppressed people and critical theory and all these kinds of things. And, and, and so the idea of power uh, is at the forefront of our society right now and the dynamics of power. But Solomon tells us that, that wisdom is better than power, uh, even though we live in a world that doesn't necessarily see it that way. Uh, in today's passage, he's going to talk a lot about folly. We're talking about wisdom and folly, but he's going to be talking a lot about folly and kind of the nerd in me um, has, has uh, wanted to title this message, I Pity the Fool, but I don't know if anybody would think that was funny but me, so uh, I'm, I'm not going to title it that. <laughs> there, there actually, there was this TV show with Mr. T um, long after the A-Team was a thing and long after Mr. T's popularity died down, uh, and it only lasted a season and actually was called I Pity the Fool. And, and Mr. T would be called into these situations. Uh, for example, there was a wife who's, uh, in her mind, her husband uh, did nothing but sit in his recliner and drink beer and was lazy and unproductive. And so she called Mr. T to come in and help motivate this guy. Um, look it up. It's probably on, online somewhere. I thought it was pretty hilarious. I've but <laughs> anyway, I, di I digress. <laughs> Um, but, but we're going to be talking about folly today, and, and in a moment we're going to we're going to define wisdom and we're going to define folly throughout the course of, of uh, the sermon today. But for now, let's get into uh, Ecclesiastes chapter ten. We're going to be going through verse eleven. Uh, but for now, the first four verses say this: Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. And we'll pause there for a second. So thus far in Ecclesiastes, the preacher, or Solomon, uh, has told us a few things about the fool already. He's told us in uh, chapter 4 that the fool is lazy, uh, he's told us in chapter 7 that the fool is ill-tempered. In chapter 2, that the fool is morally blind. We're told in chapter 9 that the fool refuses to take advice. And we're also told in chapter 5 that ultimately the life of the fool is not pleasing to God. 
Now, what we've just read here tells us a little more uh, about the fool. And so, so we're going to talk a little more about the fool, and then, then we're going to define really what foolishness is and where it comes from. And so he starts off by saying that dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom. In other words, what Solomon is saying to us here is that a little bit of foolishness can have a pretty big impact, right? And again, we, we don't have to, to pay attention too closely to uh, the politics of our day and the headlines of our day to know that a little bit of foolishness goes a long ways, right? It really makes a big impact. One thing I was thinking about lately, we had the opportunity to be on vacation on the East Coast this last week and just walking around Boston and seeing all of this history, right? Things that are 300, 400 years old and um, thinking about uh, the Revolutionary War. We, we stood on the ground where the Revolutionary War was fought. And, and I just had this thought, and it was a similar thought to, to when I had a chance years ago to travel to Washington, D.C. and looking at all the monuments, thinking that they don't make people like this anymore that really stand for what's right and that stand against tyranny and that stand against injustices. Um, pe people are not like that anymore. Um, you know, we, we all have our own ideas of what's right. Um, we live in a kind of a post-truth culture where it would not be uncommon to say, well, you have your truth and I have my truth, right? You have your morals and I have my morals. But, but we, we don't live in a society anymore where there's this kind of agreed upon, like here are things that are definitely an injustice, Right? We don't have that anymore. And, and we have people uh, in our society and people in uh, prominent roles in our society even um, who hold views that, that we might say when, when lined up against the Bible, we would say that maybe they're foolish. Maybe they're just downright wrong. Right? Um, and Solomon says it doesn't take a whole lot. It doesn't take a whole lot of foolishness to kind of taint the water so to speak. It doesn't take a whole lot of foolishness before it can have a pretty big impact. And we see this domino effect, especially when those who represent us and those who, who lead us uh, are fighting against God, right? It doesn't take long for that to kind of filter its way through a, a culture, through a society. And a lot of what we're seeing today is the result of that. Solomon goes on to say that a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. And before you're ready to stand up and start waving your flag, this is, he's not talking about progressives and conservatives. He's not talking about that at all. In the ancient world, the right was considered the place of honor, and the left was, was kind of more associated with dishonor. It wasn't necessarily a political statement about conservatives and progressives or, or anything like that. And he's saying that that... With wisdom, what comes with wisdom is that a man is inclined or a person is inclined towards honor and towards respectability. And ultimately what we'll see, I think, today is that, that wisdom inclines us to God, whereas foolishness inclines us to the left, the place of dishonor and the place of disrespect, right? He goes on to say that even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he's a fool. So even when the fool gets it right, even when the fool is doing what's appropriate, even when the fool is fitting in society and not necessarily an obvious sort of a way, right? the fool is just walking down the road like everybody else, there's something about the fool that we can all look at, even, even though we, we might not see it on the forefront, that we can look at in a way and say, okay, that this person is not walking with God, right? This person is, is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. 
You've heard the saying, fight fire with fire, right? This is, Solomon is saying, don't fight fire with fire. Even if the anger of the ruler, the anger in the context of what we're talking about, it would, it would seem that he would be talking about a foolish ruler even. So if the anger of the foolish ruler rises against you, Solomon says, don't leave your place. In other words, don't fight fire with fire. Don't fight foolishness with foolishness. Don't fight anger with anger. Right? That, that, those things tend to be the way that we do it. Right? That's our tendency. Right? You get mad at me, I'm going to get madder at you. Right? Just so I can shut this down. Right? You're going to be foolish with me. Well, I'll take it to an extreme just so we'll shut it down. And Solomon says, don't do that. He says, calmness will lay great offenses to rest. And I think there's something here about trusting God, even when unjust rulers come against us. Right? And we, we have a lot to say about our rulers today, don't we? Probably more so than any time in my lifetime. I mean, you know, politics is always a hot button issue, right? It always has been throughout time and history. But in my lifetime, like I've never seen the things that I'm seeing now. Everybody's got an opinion about politics. Everybody's got opinion, an opinion about those in leadership roles, right? And we're all pretty good at being armchair quarterbacks, aren't we? Right? We, we tend to think that we would do a much better job, and we might, but we might not. Who knows? But, but what Solomon is saying here is that there's something about a calmness that comes ultimately from a trust in the Lord. Right? Our Bible tells us clearly that it's God who establishes rulers. It's God who establishes kingdoms. It's God who establishes authorities. And we've talked a lot about that, like especially in our time going through 1 Peter. We talked a lot about that. Right? Do we really believe our Bibles to be true when our Bibles say that? Do we believe our Bibles to be true when, when our Bibles tell us to follow those authorities and those rulers and those kingdoms which God has established, even the unjust ones? Right? First Peter chapter 3 talks a lot about following unjust rulers insofar as we're not commanded to do anything that goes against God, right? But do we believe that to be true? And Solomon is telling us that, that fighting anger with anger or fighting foolishness with more foolishness, that doesn't do much. What, what does something is calmness. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. Our trust in the Lord ultimately can lay great offenses to rest. The fool we see is quick to anger. And anger is almost never, I, I, might, I might say never, but let's just say almost never the right response to a circumstance. The reason I say almost never is like there, there is a righteous anger to be had. But I can tell you that more often than not, our anger is not righteous. Even when we're coming against injustices in the world, because we're, we're broken and we're flawed people, even though I might be coming against a just cause, my, my anger probably is, is rarely, if ever, righteous. Right? So, so Solomon is saying that anger is not necessarily the right response to a given circumstance. So we put all this together and we see up to this point in Ecclesiastes how the fool lives. The fool lives with a mentality of laziness, is ill-tempered, is morally blind, refuses to take advice, ultimately a life not pleasing to God. Uh, a fool uh, can have a big impact in their foolishness more so than maybe we realize. Uh, in our foolishness, it inclines us away from God, not towards God. The fool lives uh, in an angry manner. And even when the fool happens to get it right, that there's something about the fool that, that we just know is foolish. 
But what is it that constitutes a fool? We see all these kind of descriptors of, of the life of the fool, but, but really, how does this happen? Solomon isn't talking here about the difference between being smart or stupid. He's not talking about one's level of intelligence that makes them a fool or the lack thereof that makes them a fool. Psalm 14, 1 to 3 says this, The fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And if we take this passage into account, the ultimate act of foolishness is to say there is no God. To live as if God doesn't exist. Romans chapter 1 tells us that, that humanity is without excuse for acknowledging the existence of God. Go outside and look around, Apostle Paul would say. Look at the mountains, look at the trees, look at the streams, watch a sunrise or a sunset, look at the stars at night, and you can't help but acknowledge that there must be a God. And if you come to any other conclusion, it's because you're intentionally refusing to acknowledge the existence of God. And so the psalmist here tells us that that's the fool. This has nothing to do with one's intelligence. It has everything to do with one's acknowledgement of God. So who is the fool? The fool is the one who doesn't acknowledge God. The fool is the one who doesn't submit to God. The fool is the one who doesn't recognize God's authority uh, in the earth, in the universe, in, in our own lives. That's the fool. And the psalmist tells us they, meaning humanity, that humanity is corrupt. Humanity does abominable things. And of all of humanity, there's none that are good. And so what the Bible is telling us is that we all have this default state of being the fool. You and I are the fools apart from God's intervention in our lives. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But our default state is one of foolishness. Our default state is what Solomon is talking about here. Our default state is that we don't do good, that we don't understand, that we don't seek after God. That's our default state in life. The, the Bible doesn't teach us that God one day on his throne looked down the corridors of time and saw ultimately that I would choose him and so he chose me. The Bible doesn't teach that. Right? That's kind of a popular way of thinking, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches with what we just read that, that we're all corrupt, we're all broken, we're all flawed, we're all sinners, none of us do good, none of us seek after him. We all occupy the space of foolishness by default. We're born into foolishness. None of us do good, not even one. And so it's important that we understand who Solomon's talking about when he's talking about the fool. In verse 5, he goes on to say, there is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. So Solomon, again, in the context of our statement, in the context of, uh, of our text, he's talking about fools. And so this evil that he's seen under the sun, and you might Remember, as we're, we're 10 chapters into Ecclesiastes, he uses this phrase under the sun a lot. And what Solomon means by under the sun is, is everything that happens in life 
apart from God. That's what he means when he says, I've seen this thing under the sun. He's seen this thing happening apart from God. And so he says, there's an evil that I've seen apart from God, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. And, and again, we can, we can armchair quarterback our rulers, right? And we see lots of errors proceeding from them these days, don't we? Or at least lots of perceived errors, Maybe, probably actual errors, but, but at least lots of perceived errors. And so the context of this statement is he's talking about fools being in leadership, those in leadership who don't acknowledge God's existence, who don't acknowledge God's goodness, who don't acknowledge God's authority. And I think it's probably a rarity these days to see somebody in a representative position or a leadership role in our society who does acknowledge God. And that's sad. It's unfortunate. It shouldn't be that way, but it's the society that we live in as our society is moving away from truth. And a post-truth society, a post-Christian society, um, what, what do we expect? Right? It would seem like an unrealistic expectation to think that we would have leaders that acknowledge God because society at large doesn't. So Solomon has seen this evil as it pertains to leaders and representatives who don't acknowledge God. And what is the evil? He says that folly is set in many high places. Right? We, we can all give a hearty amen to that. Right? Folly is set in high places and the rich sit in a low place. Now, a lot of times in the Bible, when it talks about the rich, it's talking about the rich in a negative way, right? Those corrupt rich people. But here, Solomon is not speaking of the rich in a negative sense. He's speaking of the rich in a positive sense. And he's speaking of the rich as those people who have had some success in life due to their wisdom, right? They've managed their money well, they've managed their affairs well, and so they've had some success in life. They've been able to take care of themselves and the, their family, uh, run successful businesses. That, that's who he has in view here. And Solomon is saying that the error that is proceeding from foolish leadership is that we have fools in high places. We have those in high places that don't acknowledge God. Those who lead our society, who influence our society that don't acknowledge God. Yet those who have had success in this life in a positive way that probably should be the ones sitting in the high places. They're not. They're sitting in the low places. Right? We, we all have uh, opinions when elections roll around. And I think an appeal of the 2016 election was that we, we wanted somebody who wasn't a politician. Right? We didn't want a career politician. like that. There was an appeal there to somebody running who wasn't a career politician. Right? Solomon is, is, is sort of saying that. Right, that, that it, it doesn't make sense that the foolish people occupy the high places and those who actually have been able to navigate this life with some success and, and do some good in the world and do some good for themselves, they sit in the low places. Yet here we are with godless leaders, godless representatives in our society. Furthermore, he says, I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Again, like this is backwards from what it should be. Right? Horses in the ancient world were reserved for the rich and reserved for the privileged. Not everybody had a horse. Right? We, we, we today live in a society where you know, if you want a horse, you can go get a horse, right? whatever pets that you want. Right? Horses are, are utilitarian in nature. Um, and we also, they're also a thing that we enjoy. But in the ancient world, they, they were reserved for the privileged, right? the privileged few. 
And Solomon says, I see slaves, like servants, those who should be kind of in the lowly positions in life, that they're, they're on horses reserved for the privileged. And the privileged who should be on horses, they're walking the grounds like slaves. It's backwards. It's backwards. And we can relate to this because there's, I don't know about you, there's a lot of, a lot of things I look out in the world today and think, it's backwards. It's absolutely backwards. It wasn't a whole lot different in Solomon's day where he would look at life under the sun, life apart from God, and he would say, there's some things that are backwards here, <laughs> some things that just shouldn't be, but they are. Fast forward from Solomon's day to the Apostle Paul's day, which is a little bit closer to us, not a whole lot, but a little bit closer to our times. In Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 29, the Apostle Paul says this, they, speaking of humanity, were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. This is in the same context of Paul talking about looking outside and not having any excuse to not acknowledge the existence of God. This is just a few verses later. And he speaks of humanity with this kind of scathing indictment. Unrighteous, evil, covetousness, slanderers, deceitful, malice, all these horrible things. We, we even, Paul says, invent evil. <laughs> Like that, that's like the worst of the worst. Like he go through this, this list that isn't necessarily meant to be comprehensive, but then he says, like, you invent evil. Like that, that makes it like the most comprehensive thing ever. Like we, there, there's no end to our inventing of evil, the Apostle Paul says. And as Christians, we, we can look at the world and we can see these things ring true. We can see that things are backwards. We can see that our society celebrates things that the Bible says ought not be celebrated. And we, we say that we don't celebrate the things that society does, not because we're hateful jerks, right? Maybe, maybe some that, that, that fly under the Christian banner, maybe they are hateful jerks. There's a lot of that out there. But, but a biblical worldview would say that we don't celebrate things not because we hate the people that celebrate them, but because we're heartbroken over the sin of humanity, and we're heartbroken that, that we as a society celebrate things that God says shouldn't be celebrated. We're, we're heartbroken at the injustice in the world, not because it offends us. Right? Sometimes as Christians, I've said this time and time again, that we're the most offendable people in the world. And the Bible would tell us, don't, don't be offended by the sin of humanity. Don't be offended by the injustices in the world. Be heartbroken that the world is full of fools who have not acknowledged God. There's no more heartbreaking thing in life as somebody who, rather than somebody who would not acknowledge God. And if our response to those who don't acknowledge God is anger and offense, we've missed something in our understanding of the gospel. Isaiah 5.20, the prophet writes, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And in, in Isaiah's pronouncement of, of this woe to those who, who live backwards from what God says should be right, 
there's a woe there. And this woe, again, is for us should be heartbreak over those who don't acknowledge God. It should be a heartbreak towards the fools, not offense or anger at the fools of this life. Solomon goes on to, to give a few pithy statements here, and he says, He who digs a pit, in verse 8, will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. And so he acknowledges, like, I think just kind of the normal work that, that we engage in uh, as people, right? Digging a pit, that's a, that's a pretty menial kind of a task, to dig a pit, he says, if you dig a pit, you, you might fall into it, right? If you're not careful, if you're not applying wisdom to your pit digging, you might fall into a pit. A serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. And in ancient Israel, they had lots of rock walls, right? Israel's kind of deserty, so lots of rock walls. And when you're breaking through a wall, it very well might be that there's a poisonous snake in that wall. But if you're not careful, if you're not using wisdom in your breaking down of this wall, you might get by get bit by a poisonous snake, right? And in this this time and day, like you couldn't just rush somebody to the ER with a snake bite, right? That, that was maybe kind of a death sentence if that were to happen to you. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, right? It's very likely that if you're not using wisdom in your work, that you might have a large stone fall on you. Again, a sort of a death sentence. He who splits logs is endangered by them. Anybody who split firewood uh, at all, like you know that you got to be kind of careful. You got to pay attention who's around you when you're swinging the axe. You got to make sure that you're not, you know, swinging it in a way where you're going to chop off your toe or whack yourself in the shin or something like that, or or that a piece of wood isn't going to come and you know fly and get lodged in your eye or something to that effect, right? So so Solomon is acknowledging just kind of through the normal courses of life, the normal course of work and things that we do that in our even in our disacknowledgement of God, right? I don't, I don't think he's saying that if you acknowledge God that none of these things are going to happen to you. I don't think he's saying that at all. Right? Ask the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul will tell you just because you follow God doesn't mean that you're going to have an easy life. Right? The Apostle Paul, his life got exponentially more difficult from the moment that he came to faith in Christ. So Solomon can't be saying here that as long as you acknowledge God that you're never going to fall into a pit or you're not going to get bit by a snake or those kinds of things. These are things that just kind of happen through the normal course of how we live. But then he says, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. I used to work for a company years ago where our company mantra was work smarter, not harder. For years, like it was up on the walls and every company meeting, they would say work smarter, not harder. Anytime we encountered a problem, the question would be, how can we work smarter and not harder? And it was in front of us all of the time, every single day. And, and what that did for us is it got us to be thinking on a regular basis, well, what's the smart thing to do here? Right? Well, what's the wise thing to do here? How can we make things easier on ourselves by applying a little bit of wisdom to what we're doing? And as a result, the systems that, that operated in this company, they we were a model company in our industry where other companies would look at us and say, how do you do things and teach us? Because we were always thinking about how can we apply wisdom to what we're doing? 
Now, this wasn't a Christian environment, and we weren't thinking about acknowledging God necessarily in our, in our work from the company leadership, but we were using wisdom that God gave us, right? Using our, our noggins and engaging our brains um, to do this. And what Solomon is saying here is that if you're going to go about these kinds of things, there's probably a way to do them that are going to help you um, by applying a little bit of your God-given wisdom in the course of your work that might mitigate some of these risk factors that we would call them. Then he has this kind of weird statement, if the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Snake charming was evidently a bigger thing in the ancient world than it is today. I don't know, anybody ever seen a snake charmed? I've I've never seen it happen except maybe in movies. But the idea of snake charming is that there's this anticipation, right? That, That it's not a quick process. Right? If you're watching a snake charmer, you're, you're watching him um, blow his flute or wave his hands or do whatever it is that they do in order to make the snake come up out of a basket. And, and there's this anticipation of what's going to happen. Right? So there's a process that unfolds. And I think what Solomon is saying here is that if, you, if we rush the process, right? if you're too quick in your foolishness, remember this is the context of, of our text is foolishness, if in your foolishness you're trying to do things quicker than they ought to be done, it's like the snake biting the charmer before the snake is charmed. It's like, well, that was anticlimactic. Like, let's move on to the next thing, right? And so he, he's giving us a little bit of a lesson here that, that not only is, is there wisdom to be applied in those in leadership positions in our culture, but also for the everyday person who's just out there doing their work. There's wisdom to be applied. And there's one place to find wisdom, like true wisdom. Right? We can educate ourselves and we can learn our vocations and, and all of these things. And, and we, can, we can learn how to do a good job. But ultimately, the Bible would tell us that wisdom comes from one place. Ultimate wisdom comes from one place. Back in chapter 3, Solomon told us, if you might remember, the best hope that we can have in life under the sun, life apart from God, the best hope that we can have is that we would find a job that we enjoy and that we would work hard at it and we would enjoy the fruits of our labors until the day comes that we die. Life apart from God, that's the best hope the wisest guy that ever lived says that you can have. You enjoy your job, you would enjoy the fruits of it until the day that you die. And that's it. That's it. That's kind of depressing if that's all there is to this life. But if that is all that there is to this life, I get it, right? Live for the here and now and work as hard as you can and make as much money as you can and have whatever success you can and, and use that success to have as many comforts in life as you can have because here it is, this is it and then we die, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. So he tells us that in these examples that we just read, Solomon is saying, even though that's the best hope that you can have to find a job, enjoy it till the day that you die. In these examples that we just read, he's also saying, but even that, even that might not go all that well. Even if you work hard, even if you enjoy your job, even if you're good at it, these ran- you might fall into a pit. That's a random thing that could happen. You can take all the measures you want to, to keep from falling in a pit, but you might still fall in a pit. Right? You can put all the safety procedures in place as you're breaking through a wall. You can wear your safety glasses and have your steel-toed boots and whatever, whatever it is that OSHA would have us have today. Right? But if you get bit by a snake, that's, that's a random thing that might happen that might bring your life to an end. 
And so the best hope that we have of just having a good job that we like, even that might be interrupted. Even that might be interrupted by things. And either we're going to die in foolishness or we're going to die in wisdom. And so we've established what foolishness is. Colossians 3.23 tells us this, 3.23-25, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back all the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And so if we believe this to be true, that, that this tells us that our vocations matter. Right? I'm not standing up here saying that our vocations don't matter. They absolutely do. They absolutely matter. And the Bible tells us to work not as if you're working for a good boss or a bad boss. Not, not as if you're working to build up everything that you can build up in this life, but work heartily, he says, as if you're working for the Lord and not for men. And so there's a sense in which it doesn't matter if you have a good boss or a bad boss. The Bible says work, like ultimately your work is for God, no matter what, because God has given us the ability to have a vocation, our vocation matters. And whether it goes well or doesn't go well, that's kind of secondary. What's primary is that we approach our vocation as if we're working for God himself because we are. And ultimately, we're going to receive an inheritance as Christians from God that the non-Christian won't receive. And so the fool, according to what we've read today, approaches this life without an acknowledgement whatsoever of who God is or what God has done. The fool in this context approaches life saying that God doesn't exist. And all there is is the here and the now. And for you and I, that, that's our default state. We're born into that state in this life. And the only thing that changes that state is an encounter with God himself. So the fool is the one who doesn't acknowledge God. So who is it that is the wise as we think about it? Proverbs 9.10 tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Like I said before, we can, we can educate ourselves in this life. We can learn all kinds of things. We, we have an incredible capacity for knowledge. And we have, at the touch of a button, more so than any time in history, we, we have knowledge is at our fingertips. Knowledge is at our fingertips. We can learn anything, anytime, by pulling a device out of our pocket and just searching for whatever it is that you want to search for. I don't know how many times I've gone to Google or gone to YouTube to figure out how to do something. Right? You, you can figure out all kinds of things. But again, Solomon's not talking about intelligence or the lack thereof. The fool could be the smartest person in the world, but they don't acknowledge God. And Solomon would say, that person's a fool. The wise could be the least intelligent person in the world. And Solomon would look at that guy and say, they acknowledge God. They possess all the wisdom that they need. Because the Bible tells us the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And what, what do we mean when we talk about the fear of the Lord? Sometimes we try to explain this away and kind of soft pedal and say, well, you don't really have to be afraid of God. But, but the Bible tells us like God's the one who, who controls eternity, right? And where we spend eternity in heaven or hell, like we should be afraid of that. <laughs> right? There's a healthy fear to be had 
of who God is, and there's a healthy fear to be had of God's wrath. But, but, but this also would include just acknowledging God, respecting God for who he is, submitting to God's authority, realizing that he's revealed himself to us most fully in the person of Jesus Christ, and he's given us the scriptures, reading and learning these things and, and following them to the best of our ability. That's the fear of the Lord. Living life in a way that we acknowledge who God is and what God has done and acknowledging that he's bigger than me and he's better than me and he's smarter than me. He's omnipotent. I'm not. He's all-powerful and I'm not. Right? He's omniscient. He's everywhere all of the time and I'm not. He's all-knowing and I'm not. He's all-seeing and I'm not. He has the ability to redeem and I don't. Matter of fact, I have the ability to continue to sin and to continue to mess things up, and I need something outside of myself to redeem me. Recognizing that and acknowledging that, that's the fear of the Lord. And we're told that we don't even begin to scratch the surface of wisdom until that, right? Until we have the fear of the Lord. And so what's the takeaway for us today? The takeaway is not to look at all of the foolish things and the foolish people of this world, and, and, and they're, they're a plenty. The takeaway is not to look at all those foolish things and people and to be mad and offended by them. A takeaway is to be thankful that God has opened my eyes and that has allowed me to have some wisdom. In that, I fear the Lord. That, that's a kindness of God. It's a grace of God. It's a mercy of God to you and to me who acknowledge Christ. Another takeaway is that if you're, you're here today and you, don't, you haven't acknowledged Christ or you haven't acknowledged who God is and what he's done for you in the person of Jesus Christ, what Solomon kind of is saying to us through this is that, that there's a life of foolishness that ends with one thing. It ends in death. Not, not only a physical death, but what we would call an eternal death. And so hear, hear these words and heed the call to acknowledge God. Heed the call to fear the Lord. Heed the call that there is only wisdom in the fearing of the Lord. And outside of that, everything is folly. Everything is foolishness. Heed the call to, to come to the side of wisdom or to remain on the side of folly. And, and, and what is it that, that keeps us from coming to wisdom. Well, it's our own foolishness that keeps us from coming to wisdom, our own foolishness that blinds us from wisdom. And so be, be encouraged today as a follower of Christ that, that God has opened your eyes and granted you faith and granted you repentance and allowed you to scratch the surface of wisdom in your fear of the Lord. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, come to Christ. Come to Christ and stop your folly. Stop living uh, as a fool and start living as the wise because God has made a way for that to happen. We, we can't come to this on our own except that God would open our eyes to it. Right? The fool continues in their folly oblivious to the fact that they're a fool, right? That's part of the, how foolishness works, right? We're oblivious to it. And so let your eyes be open that God is, is calling us to the side of wisdom and calling us away from the folly of a life lived without acknowledging who he is and what he's done for us. And so I'll leave you to consider that as we pray. Father, thank you for this morning. 
Thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you contend with us in our folly. And thank you, God, that you uh, make it so that we don't have to be left in our folly. And so I would pray for us this morning, for those who um, have begun to live the life of wisdom, that you would help us to be encouraged and continue in our fear of the Lord. Uh, and for those who have yet to do that, God, that you would open their eyes and that you would help them to come from the side of folly to the side of wisdom, that they would be able to gain the fear of the Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.